Amen. I love that song as well. Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. Just for a moment. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do again thank you for the chance to be in your house tonight. Lord, we're thankful for a warm place that we can assemble. Thank you, Lord, for the provision that you've made for us that makes it possible. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it now to speak to our hearts, that it would be something that we would uh, make the effort to apply to our lives personally. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to explain something real quick, not for any purpose other than explanation, okay? Uh, whenever you teach a Sunday school class and do a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night sermon each week, if you do the math, you have to average one a week, basically, all right? One a week, basically, you have to, or not one a week, how about one a day throughout the week? That math makes more sense. And so, anyways, I say that only to say this, that uh, a week and a half ago on Wednesday night, whenever I had preached, uh, I had worked ahead a little bit so that I didn't have to work during vacation or a lot whenever we got back on Friday. And so whenever we left on Thursday, I had no idea what I would be preaching tonight. I was going to be as surprised as you were. I knew it would be in Hebrews chapter 11, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And I say that, hopefully, for reasons that will make sense in a couple of moments. But tonight I want us to think about something that I trust we all know to be true, and that is this, is that in order for us to accomplish something, more times than not, we have to believe that it is possible for ourselves to accomplish it. Would you agree? I mean, if I were for myself this evening going to decide to have a change in career and I wanted to do something different with my life and I said to myself, you know what, I want to become a doctor. Well, in order for me to become a doctor, I have to believe that it is possible for me to go back to school, take all the classes, pass all the tests, and actually become a doctor one day. If I don't believe it is possible, it'll probably never happen. If I decided I wanted to become a pilot, if I decided I wanted to become anything else in life, in order for that to become a reality, I have to believe that it's possible for me to do such a thing. If you and I do not truly believe that something is possible, then more times than not, we will not accomplish whatever it is that's before us. Now, I say that to lead into this. When we were on vacation this week, if you know anything about Branson, you know that kind of what made Branson popular were different shows along this strip called Highway 76. And so you can go in for a two-hour show, and it's variety shows, it's country shows, there's comedy involved, and all these different things. And so on Sunday afternoon, between services, we were scheduled to go to this dinner theater thing that was going to have a Christmas program in it. And one of the performers before the program, kind of the, the pre-show performer, he was going through his gig, he was going through his, his time slot that he had, and he was talking about his dad, and he said some wonderful 
kind, polite things about his dad and really honored his father, who is 99 years old. Well, after his little performance, after his spot between that and the main show, he was kind of standing around, and I just went to him and I said this. I said, hey, I just want you to know I appreciate the way you honored your dad in your performance tonight. The things that you said, I just I appreciate that, the way that you spoke so highly of him. That's all I said, that's all I intended to say, that's as far as I meant for the conversation to go. But for whatever reason, this man immediately opened up to me and began talking to me like we were long-lost friends. And so I thought to myself, for just a moment, this is awkward, because I did not invite all this to take place. I wasn't looking for this. In fact, the family had gone to be seated, and I was not with them any longer, And as we were talking, he explained to me, or I should say as I was listening, he explained to me that he was a newlywed. And he and his wife were debating whether or not they wanted to have children because of the crazy, messed up, mixed up world we're living in. Now if you think about it, here's what you know and here's what you cannot deny, that the man and his evaluation of this world is correct. It is a crazy, messed up, mixed up world we are living in. This is not a godly environment that we're living in. This is not a, 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 a society that honors, you know, the things that need to be honored in so many ways. And, and so as I stood there and I listened to this man talk, and oddly enough, he was quite a bit older than me who had married a much younger woman. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that I was in the position I was in. But I said to him, I said, listen, as a father of three... Let me tell you, every challenge is worth it. And he looked at me kind of surprised and kind of stunned, and he said, So you would tell us to have kids? And I said, I would. But I would also tell you this. There's a book that was written several hundred years ago. And if you're going to raise kids, you really need to raise them by this book. Now, I knew where I was going in my thought process, but he picked up on it really quick and he said, I've got that book. He said, my dad gave it to me years ago whenever I used to travel a lot. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, if you will read the book and talk to its author on a daily basis, I promise you, raising children is worth the effort. We said a few more things. He thanked me for my words and the advice that I gave. But as I stood there and visited with him, I can stand before you tonight and say this, that I believe every word that I said to him. That raising children is worth the effort, and raising children is worth the challenge. And I do believe this, that though we live in a crazy, mixed up, messed up, godless society, I believe that it is possible to raise children that still turn out okay and serve the Lord and honor the Lord with their lives. I don't think that that is something that is impossible. I don't think that that is something that is beyond reach anymore. 
I truly believe it is possible for fathers and mothers today to raise children that grow up who serve the Lord and honor Him with their lives. If I didn't believe it was possible, you know what I would have said to the man that afternoon at the show? I would have said, don't do it. It's not worth it. You don't want the headaches that it'll bring. But I believe it's possible to raise children who grow up to honor and serve the Lord with their lives. Now, I said that to him last Sunday afternoon, again, not even knowing the name of the man who I was speaking to, went all week, thought about the conversation a couple of times, but I didn't really dwell upon it, got home Friday afternoon, knew that I had to come to the office yesterday morning to begin preparing for tonight's message, and I turned to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7. By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah. Now, we'll get back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7, in a couple of moments, but I want us to turn over tonight to Genesis chapter 6. Because in Genesis chapter 6, this is where we're introduced to Noah. We'll come back to Hebrews 11 in a couple of moments. But in Hebrews, or in, rather in Genesis, rather in chapter 6, I want us to begin looking at what it says in verse number 5. I know that we're familiar with this. I know that we're used to this. Many of us know the story quite well. But it says in verse number 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I know we read that together. I know that you've read that many times before. But I want us to read that one more time. Follow along, if you would, please. Don't zone out right now. Give attention to this. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great. What does that mean? It means this. Man was exceedingly wicked in the days of Noah. It wasn't just kind of like they were flirting with the idea of wickedness. It's not as though they were kind of experimenting with it. Do we want to be wicked or do we not want to be wicked? No. The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What does that mean? It means this, that not only was man wicked in their actions, it also means that their thoughts were consumed with evil or their thoughts were consumed with ungodliness. There was nothing good or redeemable or, or virtuous about the society that Noah was living in. If you look down in verse number 11, it says this, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So not only does it say that the wickedness of man was great and that the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, it says in verse number 11 that man was corrupt before God and, there, and the earth was filled with violence. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, but again, if we were to look at the society that Noah was living in, we would say this, that it's very comparable to the society that we seem to be living in. 
Would you agree that we live in a society that is corrupt in their, in their relationship with God and our society is filled with violence and, and it seems as though the wickedness of our culture is great and it seems as though people are constantly dwelling upon this idea of wickedness and, and it seems to be the only thing that people dwell upon these days. We live in a wicked, ungodly world and yet our world is no different than the world that Noah was a part of. That's not me just trying to make this work for a sermon tonight. The Scripture's fairly clear, is it not? So it says in verse number 6, what we're all familiar with. It says, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. You understand what's being communicated there, don't you? It's saying that the Lord regretted ever creating man. They had become so wicked, they had become so ungodly, they had become so evil, they had become so corrupt, they had become so violent in their actions, in their manner of life, that it grieved the Lord and it repented Him. He regretted the process of even making mankind, so much so that in verse number 7, the Lord said, I will destroy the man... I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And so here's what we know, that God has chosen or he has decided to destroy the earth. He is going to bring judgment upon every living creature because of the sin of the world at that time. However, we know in verse number 7, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What does it mean to find grace in the eyes of the Lord? It means this, to find favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so in the midst of this wicked, ungodly, just corrupt world that they were living in, it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, why was that? Well, verse 9 gives us the answer. It says, these are the generations of Noah, but notice what it says next. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now, it's kind of like the message of two weeks ago when dealing with Enoch, where a little statement is made, but in that little statement, much is said. So here is Noah, and what it says of Noah is this, is that Noah was a just man. What does it mean to be a just man? It means to be an upright and honest individual. What does it mean to be a perfect man? It means this, to be one who is mature, one who is uh, complete. And then it says that Noah walked with God. That means Noah had a personal relationship with the Lord. So think about the society that Noah was living in. It was evil, it was wicked, it was ungodly. Their thoughts were only continually evil before the Lord. They were corrupt in their relationship with God. There was violence in the land. And as that is the way society was living, Noah was living in direct opposition to everyone around him. Noah was just, he was honorable, he was upright, he was mature, he was complete, and he walked with the Lord. And so as society was marching this way, Noah was marching the opposite way, upstream against everyone who was living around him. 
That is why Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, because he chose to live differently than how the world around him was living. Now, as we keep all that in mind, it says in verse number 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So here's Noah, and I don't, how, I don't know how all this played out and how all this was communicated with him. But the Lord said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth or all mankind with the earth. The earth is going to be what brings forth my judgment. We know how that was going to work. So notice in verse number 14 it says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. And so here's what we know in the next few verses. God explains to Noah exactly how he wants the ark to be built. The dimensions by way of the length, the width, the height, the window. And what that's going to do, we know, is provide place for two of each animal to come in and find refuge during the flood that will bring about the judgment on the earth. Now, as you keep all this in mind, we'll touch on this more in just a moment, but as you keep all this in mind, here is what you need to remember. This was a daunting process to go through. This was not some light instructions that God gave Noah. This would have been a daunting task that was given to him, it said that the ark would have been one and a half football fields long, roughly 70-something feet wide, and I forget how tall it would have been, but this would have been massive. Think about what it would have taken to create something of that size in their day with that technology that they had available to them. Some are of the mindset that it took 120 years for the ark to be built. Now, as you think about all that is said in Genesis chapter 6, Notice what it says in verse number 22. It is so matter of fact. Thus did Noah. According to all that God commanded him, so did he. God said, use gopher wood. Noah said, okay, I'll use gopher wood. God said, pitch it within and pitch it without. Okay, that's what I'll do. I want it to be this tall. I want it to be this long. I want it to be this wide. And that's exactly what Noah did. He built it exactly the way God told him to do it. Now, this is interesting, okay? And again, if the time frame is correct, if the scholars are right in their math and all that they say... If it took 120 years for it to build, it's interesting what Peter said of Noah in his second letter. Peter described Noah as a preacher of righteousness. You know what that means? 
It means that in the process of building this ark, however many years it would have taken, do you know what Noah was doing? He was preaching righteousness to an ungodly society that he was living in. So as men were corrupt, as men were violent, as men were wicked, as men were ungodly, I don't know how Noah did it. I don't know how Noah went through the process of it. But as he was building the ark, as he was trying to do what God told him to do, at the same time he was trying to preach a message of warning and a message of righteousness to the people that were around him. I can promise you, That is not an easy task. To stand and preach before people is never an easy thing, especially when the people are completely unresponsive to the message that is being preached. (laughs) If you don't believe it, preach to an unresponsive group of people. That would be us sometimes. Okay? So what I'm saying is, I cannot imagine what it would have been like to go through this process week after week, month after month, year after year, trying to preach righteousness, knowing that you are going in a direction that the world is not going in. The people are completely unresponsive. You're seeing no results whatsoever. And yet Noah simply did all that God commanded him. He just did it what he was told to do. So as you think about all that, go back to Hebrews chapter 11 for a few moments. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. Things not seen as yet. What does that mean? It means this. That what Noah was warned of by God, mankind had never seen before. Scholars believe that with the way the ecosystem was originally set up in a perfect world and then how it would have maintained itself throughout the the days until the, the moments of the flood, scholars again are of the opinion and of the mindset that it had not yet rained on the earth like we know rain to take place. So if you think about this, here's a generation who had never seen drops of water come from the sky. And here is Noah being warned that I'm going to judge the people. I'm going to judge all creatures with the earth. And so here's what's going to happen. There's going to be rain falling from the skies. And the earth is going to break forth. And the waters will come forth from the the earth. You have to imagine, this would have been hard to grasp for Noah and anyone who would have heard the warning from the lips of Noah. It would have sounded ridiculous. It would have sounded absurd. It would have sounded as though, Noah, you're nuts. And again, what people say from their research, and I don't know how to dispute this or to prove this, but what they say is this, is where Noah's family was located, it would have been a distance from any sizable mass of water. So can you imagine this? Here's Noah building an incredibly large ship preparing for rain that no one has ever seen 
so that it'll float on a body of water that they're not near. And possibly for as many as 120 years, he is involved in this process and during the process preaching righteousness to anyone who would be of audience. As he was warned of things not seen as yet, notice what it says, moved with fear, prepared an ark. It goes back to what we read in chapter 6, verse number 22. Noah just did what God told him to do. Now look at the last part of the verse, okay? The last part of the verse, it says in this building of the ark, it says, by the which he condemned the world. What does that mean, that through the building of the ark, he condemned the world? It means this, that with his act of obedience in building the ark and doing what God had called him to do, and being this preacher of righteousness, the people in Noah's day were without excuse for their sin and disobedience and rebellion to the authority of God in their lives. They could not look at God and say, God, you didn't tell us. They could not look at the face of God and say, God, we did not know. They could not look at the the face of God and say, God, this was an unjust punishment for our actions. No, no. With what Noah did, it was a condemnation to the world that he was living in. And because of the building of the ark, it says he became an heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. He became a recipient of all that was good and all that was right because of his act of faith. I don't know about you, what you're thinking right now, but but for me, I'm thinking, Noah, this is amazing. And all that the Scripture has told us of, I mean, it's an amazing thought, it's an amazing process. But look there, and some of you have probably already noticed it, but notice what it says in verse number 7. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to what? To the saving of his house. To the saving of his house. What does it mean whenever it mentions the saving of his house? It means this, the deliverance of his house. If you go back to Genesis and you watch what God says to Noah about the entire process, it's talked about and it's mentioned how he is going to save Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that it was because of the building of this ark, the preparation of the ark, that it prepared the ark for the saving of his house. Now get this please. Because of the obedience to God's word and God's will in his life, that brought about the salvation and the deliverance of his family, even in a wicked, ungodly, messed up society. Imagine going back to the days of Noah. Questioning whether or not you should have children. Noah, as I look, I I see wickedness on this area, and I see wickedness on this hand, and and I see corruption here, and I see violence here. Noah, I, I just, I don't know. Should I have children? Is it worth the effort? Are the challenges worth it? Here is what I believe Noah would say. I believe he would say, listen, it's possible. 
It is possible to have children in this messed up world that we're living in that is so filled with sin. It is possible to live in such a way that through your example of obedience, your children will choose the means of salvation in their personal lives. I want us to think about this. Noah could not force his wife or his sons or his daughters-in-law to get on the ship, but because of his willingness to build the ark and to live in obedience to God's will for his life, his kids could not help, it appears, to be provoked to follow in the same obedience that they watched his father live out before them. Does that strike home with us? It ought to strike home with us. Because what that tells me and what that should tell you is this. In this crazy world we live in, If we will walk in obedience, if we will live in obedience to God's Word, it will provoke and it will stir within our children to follow in the same steps of obedience to God that they have witnessed in our lives. But if Noah had ever stopped doing what God said, or if Noah decided that he would tweak what God said, if Noah decided he was going to alter what God said, they would not have seen obedience. They would have seen disobedience. And we don't know what the outcome from that would have been. Now I say that to say this, I am greatly encouraged tonight as a father of three that children can grow up in this messed up world that we're living in and they can be provoked and they can be stirred by my example to follow in my footsteps to serve the Lord and to to take advantage of salvation that is available to them. But I must remember the challenge before me that in order for that to happen, I have to walk in obedience to God's word and God's will for my life, which means this, I don't have the right then to tweak it or to alter it or to change it to suit my desires or my wants in life. And I think that's where we as parents who are still in the process of raising kids, I think that's where we get tripped up sometimes. I think sometimes, here's what we do. We look at the Word of God and it's a little straight. Straighter than we like. It's a little demanding, maybe more demanding than what we like. It's not as permissive as maybe we'd like it to be. And so we begin to alter and we begin to adjust things according to our liking. Friends, we can't do that and then expect our kids to see our example and for it to stir them and provoke them to want to follow in this same life of obedience and salvation. Do we understand this? 
And I think, I don't think, I know Susie and I were talking about this the other day, but I I think what has happened even in our own ranks with well-intentioned people, sometimes it's not that things are not loose enough for us and things are not straight enough for us. I think sometimes we are guilty of making much of things that are not meant to be made much of in our spiritual lives. And as a result, we can do as much damage by taking it too far the other direction as we do when we make things too permissive in the lives of our children. I think far too many times what the tendency of mankind has been is to try to alter God's Word to fit our lives rather than to alter our lives to fit God's Word. And then many times parents are left wondering, what happened? What happened is this. We didn't take what God said and just do it. We took what God said, made it fit what we wanted it to say, and then questioned why our kids didn't respond better. And if you don't believe that, just listen to the way people talk. Well, I don't know why my kids have turned out this way. I don't know what's happened. And all you've got to do is just say, look at the example you gave them. Look at the lifestyle that was put before them. Now this evening you may sit here and you may say, Well, Brother Kyle, I mean, you're a little late to the party on this one. Don't you know that most of us are past the point of raising children? Yes, I get it. But I find that even in this, there is still encouragement in this passage for every one of us. Because here is what I know just by listening and giving attention to other people's testimonies. So many people have been saved not because of the testimony of their parents, but because of the testimony of their grandparents. Think about it. How many times have we heard somebody say something like this? It was because of my grandmother that I got saved. It was because of my grandparents that I got saved. How many times have people said, listen, if you knew the home that I grew up in, if you knew the situation that I was exposed to as a kid, you would know that my parents were not the ones responsible for me coming to know Christ, for me seeing my need of salvation, but because of the testimony of my grandparents. That's why I said this morning, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, or you've known one, you need to hear tonight's message. Because I want us to know this. Listen, please. I want us to know that we have great influence in the lives of our kids and our grandkids, but it only comes when we walk in obedience to God's will for our lives. But you may be looking at your grandkids thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to, I I just, I don't know how to combat what they're seeing at home. I don't know, I, I just, I don't know how to have any impact on that. Listen, you live it in front of them and you have no idea what kind of impact it can have on their lives. But boy, do we need this reminder. It's not just being the preacher of righteousness. It's being the liver, the doer, the accomplisher of righteousness. 
Can I be honest and tell us what you already know, and that is this. Many times we like to tell people what to do. We just don't like to live it out in front of them. So as a parent, what are we many times guilty of? We want to tell them, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Quit this. Stop that. Do this. Do that. Don't talk to me that way. Whatever it may be. And then we go out and we do the very thing that we told them not to do. Well, friends, being a preacher of righteousness without being the doer of righteousness and living the righteousness with just preaching it, we don't stand a chance because the kids will see the hypocrisy of it in a heartbeat and they're not going to be impressed with what we're preaching. And grandparents, I want to say to you this evening, those of you who are past this process, I want to say it is wonderful the impact that you can have on your grandkids, even though it may be limited at times. But in order for you to have that impact, it's not just enough for you to tell your grandkids how to live, to tell your grandkids what's important and what ought to be priority in their lives. They have to see it in you or what you preach means nothing. Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. He moved with reverence. He moved with, with, with a sense of awe of what God had said. And he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. I mean it more than you know tonight. I want this message to be encouraging to every one of us because I want us to leave here tonight reminded and reinforced in our thoughts it is possible to raise children who serve the Lord no matter how wicked of a society we live in. I want us as grandparents tonight to leave here and say this to ourselves and truly believe it to be possible. My grandkids may not be getting the best example at home, but it is possible for them to see my example and to adopt it for their lives and to adapt it for themselves and to take it upon themselves and be saved. I want you as grandparents to be encouraged that it is possible for your grandkids to serve the Lord. I want us to leave here tonight encouraged. I do. But we can't leave here tonight encouraged if we're not willing to face the reality that we have to live it and not just preach it. We have to live it and not just talk about it. Every one of us knows talk is cheap. Anyone can talk it up big. Find the person who lives it. Those are the rare exceptions to the scenario. Every dad and mom in here tonight still involved in the process, like myself, be encouraged. You can see your family saved. Period. End of discussion if you'll live it in front of them. If you don't, you have no guarantee whatsoever. But if you do live it, it'll provoke and it'll stir within them the desire to follow your example of obedience. And grandparent, leave encouraged tonight. It's possible. But if you don't live it in front of them, for lack of better words, the chances goes way, way down. Because not only are they not seeing it with their parents, they're now not seeing a consistent picture of it in your life. 
And if they don't see it from those two generations of people, I can promise you this generation of people in our world today will influence them. It's possible, but we have to be obedient, and we have to do as he says and not try to alter and tweak things to fit our agenda. We must yield to his agenda. Meditate on that tonight. When you get discouraged raising kids, when you get discouraged looking at your grandkids, meditate on this truth. No, it's possible. If you don't think it's possible, you might as well give up right now. Believe that it is possible because the testimony of Noah is this. Even in a godless society, your family can be saved. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that is found in the life of Noah. And we know that he was not a man without sin. We know that he was not a man who did not have his own failures. But yet, you say that he was just, he was perfect, and he walked with you. Lord, you said of Noah that he simply did what you told him to do. And what a difference that made on the life of his family. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight as parents and as grandparents to realize it is possible. We simply have to do what you tell us to do, to live how you tell us to live. I pray that you'd help us to see that tonight. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.